Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. My oldest daughter reviews. She, I kind of asked her, I thought, you know, she might want to review my notes. She said, Daddy, I've never heard you teach before. So I said, honey, you want to review my notes? So she looked over them a few hours ago, and she said, Daddy, that was really good. And, and if today doesn't go so well, if it's a flop, I think I'm going to stick with my daughter's assessment. <laughs> we've, been, we've been going through the incredible story of redemption through the biblical canon as it's been ordered for us in the Protestant scriptures. And it's been really amazing to see from the human perspective consistently, if we were living in real time in these events, especially in, if we were part of Israel in the 400 years they were under Pharaoh and Egypt, it would have seemed hopeless and impossible. Lord, are you going to keep your covenant to your people Lord, are you able to do what you've said you would do? And it is amazing how much we can connect this to our own personal lives. Our perspective is so limited and so narrow and so constrained by time that it is really incredibly powerful and important for us to remember that this has been the experience of God's people throughout history that despite those restraints, it is ultimately God leading his people to a deeper trust in obedience, knowing that our job is to do those things and his job is to take care of the plan. His job is to know it and order it and we are to be faithful. And I pray and I hope that those basic principles are exemplified and drawn out in, in, in the text today. There's just a few a few verses we're going to be reading today. It's Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6. I'll do a quick review. I always need review. It's always really helpful. But um, for those of us who are joining in to this story, we've been working consistently through. It's nice to kind of catch up. So we are in the book of Exodus. Last week, Dr. Spivey uh, reviewed and, and explained the incredibly miraculous deliverance of Yahweh to the people of Israel through the Red Sea, out of the oppressive hand of um, the frightening and powerful dictator uh, that was Pharaoh that they were living under for four centuries. The interesting thing about that sequence of time in the history of Israel was it was not because of their sin that they were there. It was in the sovereign plan of God. He even said beforehand, your people to the patriarchs, your people will be under the oppression of Egypt. They will be serving them for 400 years. The incredible thing is we'll get to is right after God delivers them, God brings them into the wilderness immediately after he delivers them through the Red Sea. And we know that the wilderness in the Pentateuch is typically where God brings his people as a result of their disobedience. (laughs) But the awesome thing is, And we'll see the connection here is that this wilderness experience, it seems like it's a few months 
whatever three moons is in the Old Testament, that's the time period. This was God's sovereign plan in bringing him through the wilderness before he begins to initiate his covenant and establish the nation. So I pray and hope that that sequence of events, it's, it's really interesting how the scripture doesn't explain all these things, but God uses his spirit and uh, diligent study and thoughtfulness to urge his people to make these connections, and I think they are there, but we never find the nuggets and the gold and the riches in the word of God without some effort, amen? It's, it's a worthy pursuit. So quick review, Israel was not in bondage to Egypt because of their sin, but their circumstance was the consequence of the sovereign will and plan of God. God faithfully preserved and delivered Israel from the hand of Pharaoh because of his covenant to Abraham. I want you to understand that it's not that he didn't love these people, but God was first and foremost committed to his people because of his commitment that he made to Abraham, whom he called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He called a Gentile out of a pagan nation and created a nation that would be centered around Yahweh, who is the name that God gave himself in the Old Testament. Um, it, it, it truly is incredible that we, we all have the same foundation. We're all pagans and Gentiles at one point, right? And, and so Exodus 2, 23 through 24 says, Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. How many generations had gone by that Israel was under slavery? 400 years is a very long time. It's older than our nation the American nation, it's an extremely long time. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't you love that language? Do you think this is the first time God heard their cry? <laughs> I love how the narrator, inspired by the Spirit, um, gives us this insight. It's like a marker in the narration that God is about to do something. So what does God immediately do after this? He begins to raise up a deliverer, right? And we just saw this deliverance last week, at least the beginning parts of it. Third and last part of the review. In Exodus, God is working to fulfill his covenant to Abraham and his descendants. His plan of redemption is being played out slowly but surely through human history. I would argue if we do not see God faithfully carrying out his plan in Israel, how can we be confident that we are sure and safe and secure in the new covenant? I believe God is showing his pattern of faithfulness throughout the Old Testament so that what Jesus promises, what the Son of God promises in the New Testament is not a surprise, but that we know that God can and will and does always fulfill his promises, and not only that he does, but he's able to, despite all human and spiritual forces of evil, their effort to, to sway and thwart God's plan. So there's a contrast I just wanted to notice for us to have in the back of our minds in this part of the narrative, but it's also been throughout the last couple teachings as well, is two different kinds of leaders. The first one is Pharaoh, I believe he represents an evil dictator who does not care about his subjects, who does not care about his people. And then Yahweh, who is a kind and loving master, but not only kind and loving, but he is powerful. He, in fact, is far more powerful than Pharaoh, 
who wanted people to know how powerful he was, right? But God's working behind the scenes and he will radically disrupt the confidence that Pharaoh had in his abilities. So Yahweh had miraculously delivered Israel out of bondage. Israel went from being in bondage to Pharaoh to being bonded to Yahweh. Let me say that again. Israel went from being in bondage to Pharaoh to being bonded to Yahweh. That was an incredible way, kind of my summary, a way that a commentator described um, this transition. There are similarities, but there are radical differences. And as I hope I, I'm able to draw out and argue in this, that, that there is a unique understanding of freedom that God gives to his people, but it's not the traditional understanding of freedom that we tend to think of as Americans, especially as Texans. There is a, coming from California, living there most of my life, uh, yes, we, tr- we, pr- we prided ourselves and valued the traditional American values, but there is an exponential uh, value system of some of these values like freedom that you feel in states like Texas that you would not experience in my generation in California. So it, it is something that um, is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's always awesome as believers to test our understanding of principles like freedom to what God and the scriptures teach us in those, and just to make sure we're not out of balance. So continuation, the continuation of the Exodus narrative, uh, Yahweh immediately drove the people of Israel into the wilderness. Immediately, in his plan, they had done nothing wrong. The text doesn't say that they were in any open sin. That is just in God's plan, he drove them into the wilderness. I believe one of the, one of the regions was the wilderness of sin. It's such an interesting, <laughs> out of all the places, not only the wilderness, but there's got to be some reason why it was called the wilderness of sin. I mean, there's something incredible about the Old Testament, how Individuals' names seem to represent a legacy of their life before they were even lived it out. And so there, there, is, there is a storyline that, that is so well-crafted in this. Uh, the wilderness was an unsettled land with an uncertain future. That was the human perspective. It was an unsettled land with an uncertain future. Can you imagine going back into an area with all the luxuries and the privileges and the provisions we have? Um, you know, say you're going into a campsite or a region where you want to camp and it's not something that's set up like at a state park, but it is absolutely the wilderness. How many things do you need that you do not have access to, that there's more dependence on the grace of God, on um, God's providence than when you have everything at your fingertips every day? So God brought them to the wilderness and what I believed, and again, I'm just summarizing the narrative up to our text today. To give us context, what the wilderness accomplished, in my opinion, number one, the wilderness exposed the faithless hearts and immature character of Israel, as you see when you read chapters 16 through the very beginning of 19, or just the last verse of 18. They complained against God and criticized his provision. He had given them food and water, but it wasn't a few moments, a few days before they grumbled and almost completely forgot what God had just done in their lives. If he could do what he did with the Red Sea parting and delivering them in an impo- out of an impossible circumstance, what, what would make them think that water and food were out of the abilities of 
God the Father of Yahweh to provide for them, but they were very bent on complaining. So the wilderness, and this is a little bit of an application for us, it exposes what is inside of us. It breaks us down, and if we have any childish ways or immaturity, they will come out. However, if you are a tried and true, like the last song um, Noah wrote and sang with the worship band, if you are someone that has been tried and true and tested and grown to a certain degree of maturity, oftentimes, if you are brought into the wilderness, this is not the result. It is difficult, but the character that God has built in you comes out in these times, but the lack of character in you in these times also comes out. And so I believe the wilderness is an incredible opportunity. Again, not the physical wilderness, but when God brings us into a time where it is so dark and so lonely and so discouraging, it is an opportunity for us to be reminded of how much we need him, how dependent we are on him. And it's an opportunity to grow in our faith, walk with him and in our character. So Yahweh was teaching them that the freedom he gives to his people was not for their autonomy. That is the freedom that I believe our world prizes themselves in and seeks out. But it is a freedom to train his people in trust and obedience. It is a freedom to be enslaved to the one that loves and cares for them. You know, it's all over the New Testament, but truly Christ through the Holy Spirit, has given us new life, not to be free in the American understanding of freedom, but it truly is a different form of service and slavery. It is a committed, willful service to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has loved us and has given his life for us. And we have so much to be thankful for. Um, There is no one on this planet, and it's so interesting how people like Bob Dylan write songs that emphasize this reality. He says, it may be the devil, or maybe it may be heaven, or maybe hell, but you gotta serve somebody. It's one of the main lyrics in the song, for lack of a better paraphrase. There, there are so many realities. If we realize, if we think about the, the times in our life that we think we have our own personal understanding of freedom, in reality, there is something we are worshiping, there's something we are serving. There is no serve-less, worship-less season of our life. There is always something we are submitting to. And that is why we need the Lord so much because if we are not submitted to him, we will, by God's design, we will submit ourselves and surrender ourselves and yield ourselves to something else that will tear us up and destroy us. So in all this, Yahweh chose to be present with Israel because of his covenant with them and their ancestors were they, was Israel deserve it? Was, were they, did they deserve the grace of God, the mercy of God? Did they, based on their initial reaction to God and their grumbling against him to Moses, God's primary intermediary and representative, um, did they prove that they were a worthy people? No, but did God stop loving them? Did God give up on them? No, he absolutely did not. So in our passage, Exodus 19, 1 through 6, my question as we read this is, why did Yahweh purchase Israel's freedom? Chapter 19, Exodus, verse 1, 
I'll read through verse 6. In the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. This is Mount Sinai where the law would be given in just a chapter later. Moses went up to the mountain of God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So we are going to go from verses 4 through 6, and we're going to break this down to three sections. It is, the three sections are, what the Lord has done in verse 4, verse 5, what the Lord requires, and verse 6, what the Lord promises. So in this section, Yahweh established a nation through covenant. It was the, this was the first time that he began, it was, it's kind of the precursor to him giving the law, where he was establishing them as a unique people as he was bringing them into the promised land. This is a process that, as we know, might have been quite shorter, but in hindsight, it was an incredibly long time, longer than I believe was God's initial plan for them. However, God responded in discipline through their disobedience and their complaining and grumbling and left them there quite a bit longer than they would have needed to be left there. So um, there is something to say about our formation as God's children, it's something that can be extremely slow and painful, and it's something that can go on ta- God's timetable. And, and I truly believe that there are things that if we are not actively digging in to a walk with the Lord, we can be in almost the same place 20 years down the road as believers that we are now. And this, boy, this is not something that we just have to wait till the New Testament to find. This is something that we can see just reading the Pentateuch and reading um, this interplay between God's dictation and conversation and interacting with his people and their response and then God's re-response to them. It's very, very interesting. It's very painful, but it shows a lot about God's persistence and patience with his people, but also man's stubbornness and their responsibility to trust the Lord to work in their hearts, work in our hearts, to overcome this obstinance that we might become a people that represents him well. So what were to be Israel's distinctives? And this, I believe, kind of overshadows this passage. Their distinctives are, and I believe this is what separated and distinguished the theocracy, which it was a more of a common trend in the ancient Near East. There were other theocracies, but who truly was considered and took pride in being called deity in these other theocracies. I'll give you a hint. Egypt was one. Who really was God? Yeah, the Pharaoh, right? He acknowledged other gods, but he had no problem feeling like and being told he was God. And that, that was the way he was respected and revered in his theocratic nation state. But Yahweh's 
nation state, the theocracy that he was establishing would be one where his people would worship him and his people would represent his character by how they lived. And the representative, the human representative Moses, he was not one that sought to promote himself and to put himself in the place of God. He was just the mediator. He's a great example of how us and his people that he lived with in, in the nation of Israel in his time in history were to live. They were to look to Moses and go, that's a man that represents God. I want to do what he has done. And those are leaders we should look to as men and women of God or those who are doing that. If they're not, I would question strongly, is this the place that God wants me to serve and be at? If they are not people that are causing you to love and revere and follow Christ more by their life and their words and their actions. Again, not perfection, but the trajectory. We want to look at people's lives and the trajectory they're going on. So, first thing, verse 4. You have seen what I did, this is Yahweh speaking to Moses, to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What does this preamble remind you of? I'll give you a hint. There are probably other examples um, in the past in the Old Testament, in Genesis, but uh, something very near to this passage, what does this preamble remind you of? It seems to be very consistent how God begins a statement before he gives commands. Does it remind you of the beginning of the Ten Commandments? Yeah. What does God do? He reminds them of who he is, what he's done, so that they know, I love you and I'm trustworthy, right? I'm trustworthy, so listen to what I say. I'm a parent with three children, and I fail every day at that, but I will tell you this. My kids have a lot less confidence in following and obeying me if they don't know that I love them and care for them and have the ability to watch over them and deliver them. It's an incredible, it's incredible, fearful responsibility, yet it, it comes with great reward if it's done well, if it's done in, in the fear and the wisdom of the Lord. So three things we see in this passage. The first thing in verse four, what the Lord has done. I love how he always starts by reminding us what he has done. <clears throat> he has displayed his power and his love to Israel. And he's done it. What, what did... What did Dr. Spivey talk about last week? What have I reminded us through um, drawing out the purpose of the wilderness experience is for God's people to realize God's abilities and for us as his people to realize our inadequacies. That's a great posture to have before the Lord. It's, I would argue that it's the only one to have if we will grow in him and do great things for him to, the, to his glory and his name. So, there, I can't remember if this was my idea or, or, or something I read, but I would summarize verse 5 as the great if. <laughs> verse 5, now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my com- covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. There, there seems to me, as I have read the Old Testament and its covenants over the years, <laughs> there is this tension between God being faithful to his promises, his unilateral promises, <laughs> but there is a requirement of human responsibility. And uh, I don't know if this is something that we'll ever fully work out until an eternity in heaven. However, there are some thoughts that some brilliant Bible commentators have that I and, and some of my own that I hope can kind of help us with this. 
Um, his author, his last name is Williamson, he said, the, Sina- the Sinaitic Covenant spells out the type of nation that Yahweh intends Israel to be. And further, he talks about this is why he gave them the law, the commandments, so that they could be, they could know the mind and heart and wisdom of God, knew exactly what they needed to do on a daily basis to represent him in their own practical daily lives. What's amazing about the Ten Commandments is they apply to the most wealthy, affluent person in society, and they also apply to the, the most remedial, uneducated, untrained person. Everybody in the community of God could know and understand and live out his commandments. It's absolutely beautiful. J. Motier, an incredible um, New Testament scholar, said, it was not that they, the Israelites, were ordered to obey in order that they might enter the covenant, but that already being within the covenant, they were called to obey so that they might enjoy the benefits and privileges of God's people. I think that is worded so well. They were called to obey so that they might enjoy the benefits and privileges of God's people. I have this as a, um, an application. We actually are getting fairly close to closing, but I had this as an application, but I'm just gonna bring this up now. Um, How many of us as believers have ever been satisfied and have found ourselves flourishing in the Christian life when we are living in open and knowing disobedience to the clear commandments of Scripture? I mean, I would say if you feel like you're flourishing and that's the case, you're either not a believer or you're incredibly self-deceived. That is a frightening place to be in. But what is wonderful is for us to be reminded that there is a difference between experiencing the blessing and the privilege of being in the covenant versus what had to happen for us to get into the covenant. God did an incredible work that we couldn't do, and through faith in him, he got us in to the new covenant. But to, to remain in a right relationship with him in one that's flourishing and vibrant, just like it is with, with children to their parents. Um, and, and, and I would argue that, you know, it's a lot easier for kids when their parents show them that they love and treat them well and have the ability and have a proven track record of watching over them and protecting them and doing the best for them. So there is a responsibility from the human side. On our end, as parents, I believe it's, in my opinion, one of the best analogies for us to understand. Um, And I apologize for those of you who aren't parents, but if you could kind of think back to the time you were children and if you had wonderful godly parents, it's a powerful example of something that God has given mankind to prepare us as we grow into maturity to know how to depend on him, to know what it's like. It's a great image. It's wonderful how it's written in the DNA of human existence. So the breaking of the commandments, because God God goes in further and, and talks about that there's this great if, and we, we will see later as we move on to this story that there are radical consequences for breaking these commandments. But not only consequence, there's the removal of blessing, right? <laughs> That's something we, we can't forget. There's something about living that, not trial-free life, but blessed life in the midst of trials and difficulties. The breaking of the commandments equaled Israel's brokenness in the relationship with their covenant giver. But yet, God always, you know, I would say that if you would summar, if I would summarize the, the main theme of all of the prophets, 
is that judgment is imminent, but God is always there giving grace if repentance happens. I, I, I can confidently say that that is a theme throughout the prophets and more than likely almost all of scripture, and it is something that is so beautiful. There is never a point where God will not receive and heal a broken, repentant sinner who has moved beyond their autonomy and is desired to recommit themselves to him. That is a faithful God we serve. We enter by grace and continue in faith. This is what truly I believe is, the, is this, this tension here that I think that is the best way, in my opinion, to understand this. Faith produces obedience. So verse six, our last verse in this section, and you, speaking to Moses and the people of Israel, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So Israel will be God's special treasure, that's their promise, and now we're in the promise, what the Lord promises. And this promise is come, comes through obedience. We know God will fulfill his covenant to Abraham. It's, it's amazing how it works, but God will fulfill unilaterally his covenant. We look back, and every covenant partner in the Old Testament had failed, but God still fulfilled his covenant. And this is why um, it's so beautiful what the Messiah did in the incarnation. He was both man and he was both God. He fulfilled the human covenant partner side that all other human covenant partners that God had raised up in the Old Testament had failed, whether in large or small ways, but also he fulfilled the, the divine side of the covenant. He did both in the incarnation, in the suffering, in the death, and in his resurrection. And so we know God completed what man could never do, yet there is always a responsibility for us to abide in the covenant. In the New Testament, Jesus talks to his disciples in the latter part of the Gospel of John. There's this whole section talking about the importance of abiding in him as he abides in them. That language would be useless if this was something that when you automatically had the Holy Spirit entering your life upon conversion, you just abided. You woke up and you were just sucked into this spiritual tractor beam and abiding just happened. It just, guys, from the scriptures and from personal experience, it just does not work that way. Abiding is a responsibility on our end, but we have all of the power and the, the movement of heaven on our side if we just choose to access it every day. So it is not something that we seek on our own. We are not left empty and on our own in doing this. The calling of priest, in my simplistic understanding, I would say it's to share God's word, his wisdom, and his perspective to unbelieving peoples. I truly believe this verse really does sum up not only what the nation of Israel's calling was, but it's a precursor to what our calling as believers is. Um, we are called priests in the New Testament. We go before God on man's behalf by the Holy Spirit, and we go before man on God's behalf because he has something to say to others through us. Um, and then they will be God's holy nation to represent the character of Yahweh. Genesis 12, one through three, I, I want to read this to you really quickly before we have a couple closing applications just so you know how much this is connected to what God has already promised to Abraham. And this is just the continuation 
of God's covenant fulfillment and the story of redemption. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Do you see how this is just a continuation of what God has already told Abraham many, many hundreds of years before that he would do, he would sovereignly do through his chosen people. And what, what, what was their call ultimately? It was to be a representative of God's character to the nations, right? It wasn't to stay internal, but it was for their blessing, but also the blessing of the world. Anybody that would come in contact with God's people, if they were walking in obedience to his commandments, would see the character of God through them. That is a true God-instituted theocracy, a nation that when people look in, when other nations look in, they see the character of the God that they are serving, and they want what they have. In closing, just a few thoughts of application. Have we looked at our Christian life primarily through the reality that we have been freed from something? Forgetting that we have also been set free to something. The nation of Israel was just delivered from the bondage of Pharaoh, but they were also set free to do what we had just explained. We are set free from sin to know and serve God and be an example in any context we are in. The being set free from is what God always calls us to reflect upon to give us the courage and the motivation to engage in what we have been set free to do in him. Namely, faithful service to him and willful obedience. Last application, and this is something, guys, I, I, it was something that as I was walking here this morning, my family had come to study, and I just sensed the Lord wanted me to stay back from Sunday school this morning and work a little more on this lesson. And as I walked over here from our, our apartment, uh, we, we have one car right now, um, I was praying, and I sensed the Lord um, give me an incredible connection that I would have never made to the passage in Ephesians chapter 6 on spiritual warfare. Um, and, and in closing, the, the thought that I believe the Lord impressed in my heart was walking in obedience to God's commands gives us the strength and courage to stand up against evil and temptation. And the, the deeper thought was, what is our greatest offensive weapon as believers? I felt like that was a thought going through my mind. And then immediately I knew the passage. It's the sword of the spirit. We often think, we often reflect on, yes, that is our offensive weapon. But I truly believe that this key that God was giving Israel for their flourishing and success as a nation to faithfully represent him was obedience. And I believe in the New Testament, this obedience leads to boldness, number one, and precision. We have confidence that we are living rightly before God. And precision, because the wisdom he's given us as we wield the sword of the spirit amid spiritual battle. So we have boldness to pick it up because of our moral and ethical standing before the Lord, but we have wisdom to accurately and precisely wield it amid the spiritual battle. 
Genesis 1-1 is not always the passage to quote when we are struggling with sin. It might be if we are struggling with something relating to did God really create? Is is macroevolution true? But there are many things that we struggle with that Genesis 1-1 is not gonna be the part of the sword that God uses to deliver us from temptation. There will be other passages that he will want to bring to mind if we know them and have meditated on them and understand them well enough so when the Spirit brings them to mind, they are accurately applied. And so that is truly what I believe that the Lord wants us to understand in this is that we precisely fend off the enemy with the word of God, and I believe the access to this lifestyle and this precision is walking in obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 15, and this truly may it be our motivation, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Heavenly Father, that is truly what we need, is a deeper love and commitment for you. For if you had not first loved us, we would never love you. And we praise you that we have the privilege to know you and love you and serve you. And may we not take it for granted. May we not take it lightly. But truly understand that your commandments are for our protection and for our blessing. And ultimately, as we obey you, it brings glory to you. So, Father, do this work in our lives. We thank you for the story of redemption that we are continually working through in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.